Hey everybody, Mark here at Thriving Marriage, and uh, I am just recording a quick introduction to part two of the Q&A. Uh, we recorded a, uh, a live Q&A session uh, in Thrive, uh, I guess at the end of the month of November in 2022 it was, and uh, we've cut that into two segments. This is the second segment, and uh, we hope you enjoy the question and answers here, and we hope this information is helpful. All right, right over here. So what role do grandparents play in discipline, relationships, in your family, and what kind of healthy boundaries should be in place to keep them from overstepping in financial, parenting, and other aspects of life? It's a good question. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Trish so Kelly or Laura McKinney, if you're listening, turn this off right now. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. We have great parents, yeah. We do. So, we do. Um, who, who meddle? Yeah, who meddle in well, all our parents? They do, yeah. they do, yeah, um, in different ways. Okay. So the, fir <laughs> the first part of that question was what role do they play, right? Okay, so let's tackle that one first, and then there was like six other pieces to that question too, and I, I want to get to <laughs> them all. I want to get to them all because it's, it's all really good stuff, yeah. really practical. Yeah, so what role do grandparents play? And I suppose that we can broaden that to just say what role do they play in your, li in your, in your marriage, in your life? And that includes every person in the room, whether you have kids or not. Uh, you have the responsibility to honor your parents. Um, and that is a command that never goes away. You and me, everyone here, we always have a responsibility to honor our, your father and mother. And so we need to think about how we can do that. What does that look like? And the answer is different for every couple. What's honorable to my dad might be different from what's honorable to your dad. Different cultures, different personalities, different circumstances, whatever. Geographical locations, whatever. So we got to be creative and strategic with honoring our parents no matter what. And I think we can point scripture and you know, passage, chapter and verse, that's what I'm trying to say with that. Ephesians 6. Um, so for our whole lives, before we get married, they, they play the role of parent in our lives. And... Um, when we get married, there's a very symbolic moment in the ceremony where typically the dad, the father, will pass off his daughter to the new leader in her life. And there's this exchange from, you say, who, who gives this woman to this man? And the dad says, I do. You know, we do. And, you know, okay, well, you can go join your bride. And the new, the groom goes and, you know, gives the dad a bro hug and then takes, takes the daughter and steps away up to the front of the stage. And that, that transaction right there is really symbolic, uh, not just in handing off the bride for the purposes of the ceremony, but there's a lot of symbolism there in handing off the bride to now a new leader in her life for um, moving forward. Um, so all of this connects to your question. <laughs> Um, all right, I think that's important preface material. At the end of the day, what role do grandparents play in your kids' lives? Um, I think, you know, mentor, example, friend, you know, um, grandparent, it's not the same role as parent, okay? It's a different role, it's a complementary role, a helpful role, but parents have that same leadership, direct leadership over their kids as now the new 
husband has with the wife. So the family unit is um, that, what I'm describing, husband, wife, and then kids. And the, the leadership structure is right there in that, that family unit. The parents, you have a responsibility to honor them, but no longer obey them. And that's the shift that takes place. So it's, it's an overstep of a grandparent's role to impose rules and regulations on you or your kids because they no longer have that direct authority. Um, so ideally, they are complementary and helpful and they come alongside you and help in the parenting process. I just talked a lot, I have more to say, but let me just let you jump in and say something. I, I was with you. Crack, crack a joke or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. No, um, yeah, so I was just gonna go to practical things. Do you want me to jump that's to practical good too. things? Fine. Okay. <laughs> Well, one thing we've learned is that if possible, and actually, yes, almost every time, the child of the parents should do the, if there is a situation, I guess, um, where a parent, you know, my mom, let's say, has overstepped her bounds or something, I need to be the one to talk to her about it, not necessarily him. You know, because I'm her little girl. And so if he says a snippy comment, or which you don't, I, this is a fake scenario. This never happens, you guys. <laughs> I was going to say, we learned that one the hard way, but then you said oh, okay, that's yeah. hypothetical. Well, and same thing, you know, I interact. His parents live in this area, and they see our children a lot, and um, I interact with them a ton. But if there's an issue or something that comes up that we kind of need to communicate something more or we felt like maybe they're not understanding, we want, we want them to know why we're doing things because we're purposeful in what we're doing, he will often just, you know what, let me just, let me just talk to her. Or let me just talk to them about it. And I think that's really helpful. I can talk to them, but it just, they receive it better from their own child, if that makes yeah. sense. So I think that's wisdom with the big stuff and with the hard stuff. The biological kid should have the conversation if possible. Right. And I, you know, and I think that's, I think that's good and wise. Yeah, great. What other good <laughs> practical nuggets do you have? Yeah, um... I, I, I try, I think I've gotten more, like, so his parents watch our kids once a week, and they're around a lot. My parents live farther away, so they get shorter times. So just, that's our scenario uh, with them, you know, just popping in. I, she just, your mom just said to me the other day, you give me so much grace, you know, because she was joking with the fact that the kids were coming over tomorrow and she was going to get ice cream and they could all get as much ice cream as they want. You know, She's I'm like, lost all reason. And I'm right? like looking at her like, you know, giving her the eyes, but she's kind of smiling. And I just kind of laughed like I would not give my kids a bunch of ice cream right after school and I don't, but it's grandma. And she, she looked up at me. She goes, your mom is so good with me. She lets me be a grandma and she lets me spoil you, which I love. And We've talked, we've, we've had to bring up things at various sides of the family with the spoiling and such, but I, I've just tried to get more relaxed and allow some freedom. I also try to ask her advice. They want to give us advice, my parents and your parents, and they're both Christians, and they are, they, they raised us well, they did a lot of things well. They're like, they're watching, I mean, my mom has said this, and, and you know, they have a good idea, or they did something, or they had a kid like that. But if you don't ever ask them, then what, 
they're just gonna tell you, right? You know what you should do. And then you're like totally like, I'm not doing that, you know, because you just told me what I should, even if it was a good idea, there's just this kind of turn off. So I have tried to say, you know what, mom? I, we're facing this issue with whatever. What did you guys do? Now, I'm not, I don't have to do exactly what she did, but she is a piece of, of wisdom that God has put in my life. That, so I try to honor her. That's very honoring to both of them. And, and your mom, what did you do about it? I mean, she just, she can't wait to tell me, oh, well, you know what? We did. And, you know, and it's like, okay, that's I, it's helpful. So I don't know. Yeah. What else? I think a practical thing is to have good, as, as good as you can have communication with them. And you just, you have to have open lines of communication with them and be able to talk directly about some of this stuff without this conversation blowing up and turning into a fight and such. But, you know, there have been times, yeah, we let my mom spoil the kids and she does a great job with that. Uh, too good. But um, there have been times where we've approached and just said like, hey, uh, what would be most helpful? Like, you, we're assuming that you want to help us and help in the process, and you love the kids. If, if you love us, if you love the kids, let me tell you what would be most helpful in this situation. You know, we're really concerned about this particular thing, um, you know, so help us by, you know, not doing ice cream next week. I'm thinking in, in one instance, there was a diet issue uh, with a kid, and, you know, um, we did have that exact conversation about we we are cutting back on the sweets with this particular person, and, and um got them on board with our program and they saw a little bit of the vision of where we're going and why we're going there. Here's why we're not doing ice cream every day. We've got good reasons for it. If you can see that, then you can kind of join the effort and do things that are constructive and helpful. So that kind of communication is just essential because you can sit there and be frustrated every, every week, like, oh man, I can't believe they did this again. And you know, but if you're not communicating with them and casting that vision, then you're not really setting them up to succeed. So, I, you know, we're, I'm assuming that in this case that the parents want to be helpful. And we need to help them to see what that looks like. And it may not be the first fun thing that comes to mind. Maybe they had to come up with an adapted fun thing, you know, based on the situation. When... If boundary, when boundaries are a problem, meaning they overstep, there you are. Okay. So they're overstepping, and you've cast, you've communicated clearly. You've said this is what we want to do. Here's how you can help, and they're just kind of disregarding. Yeah, and they're overstepping. Yeah. Yeah, and may, maybe you've, in, in that case, you're pulling back a little bit on the, the amount of times that, like, the kids are going there, like if, if that was happening and we had a once a week thing set up, maybe we would say, hey, it's, it's, you know, we're coming up with a plan for every other week now. It's going to be every other week. You know, we've got this other stuff going on. Uh, maybe it's once a month. Maybe we're not going to do, we're not going to do this anymore where you watch on Tuesdays. It's going to be something different um, until we can get this figured out because that's just going to cut off the, um, the bad influence or whatever it is. Yeah, that's tricky. There was another piece to the question that you brought up. Did you mention like dis discipline with the grandparents too? How they discipline? Not necessarily. It was more okay. About, uh, 
Sometimes I, I feel like for my, sometimes it's just I'm too, I'm being too tense about something. Like, is it really that big a deal? So I have been upset about stuff. I'm not saying discipline, but I'm saying just they, I've, you know, I wish they wouldn't do that. I've kind of mentioned it. I've said why we don't do that. And then they're still doing it. And then I've just been like, maybe it's not that big a deal. We don't do that. We're the, we're the leaders. I mean, I'm not saying it's something sinful they're doing. It's just something I don't prefer. I just don't really like it. But they keep doing it. Can I just deal with it? You know, can I just kind of be okay with it? If it's a major thing, we'll talk with them for sure. So. Tricky, tricky stuff. Where's the next question? Was it in the back or over here? Over here. Hey, you guys. Um, I was hoping that you guys could just speak to your experience on... Um, your uh, either challenges with maintaining like romantic uh, creativity. And I guess what I mean by romantic creativity, those unique uh, things that are just special for your spouse that you do. Um, and then, because it kind of seems like the correlation chart, the more kids, the more years of marriage go up and the like ability to maintain that level of romantic creativity kind of starts to decline. And then the second part is, how do you manage your expectations with kind of that romantic creativity where when it used to be just like you two and on a Friday whim, you could just get up and take a two-day road trip with each other. And now you have four soccer games to go to on a Saturday and you can't do that anymore. Um, so just kind of managing the expectations or navigating the expectations that you currently have where, you know, you can kind of remember the the glory days that where you could, you know, so much, so much, so much, you know, so many romantic things that, that you could do where now it's a little bit more, your life is a little bit more full. Somebody watch their kids so they can go away for a weekend. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I love that you brought uh, romantic creativity into the discussion. Yeah. I appreciate it. Someone had to do it and I appreciate that you did. Well, <laughs> but he's meaning like dates and stuff. That's, I mean, the term romantic creativity, <laughs> there's a semantic range here. It is uh, inclusive of a few different things. You would. You would. Well, I'll answer it the way that should be answered. No. <laughs> the way that I want to answer it. No. Uh, you can go if you have. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, remember that one time when you made me like, brownies? and then like surprise me, and then we went on a picnic and under the stars, right? That, like that stuff doesn't really happen anymore, which I, it, I'm okay with. He still surprises me, it's just, but he can't, he can't just take me out at night under the stars. We've got four kids in their bed, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's not gonna work. They'll freak out. They would freak out. Where'd mom and dad go? It's the rapture. Um, <laughs> Sorry, uh, who, gave, who gave me a microphone? <laughs> um, so, so yes, our expectations have fully changed because we just, we're, our date nights, our time together is just different. And I'm okay with that because look at our full life and look at the blessings God has given us. But we still really do fight and fight at times. I mean, like just plan and schedule and when is our next time together? And date, day, date, breakfast, date, night, date, whatever. When's our time alone without children interrupting? And what are we going to do? And he's actually really good at being creative in that zone. He'll think about it. And I've heard him talk about this and I, I love it. I've heard him challenge the men. You know, you, 
this is what you've said, I think. You, got, you men plan a lot of your works. You put a lot of your effort and energy into your job and that meeting or fulfilling that task or whatever it is. Don't, you know, don't come home and just say, you want to go out to dinner again? Where do you want to eat? I mean, just cha you've challenged them before to come up with something different. Look stuff online. Think about it. Make a list of a few. Talk to other people. And so he'll be like, yeah, we're doing something today different. And I'm like, oh, what? You know? And it's like kayaking on the lake, which we've shared about. <laughs> so sometimes it's not. Some are good ideas. <laughs> Some are total flops. But, but I love that, that was, we hadn't done that, right? And, we, and so he will come up with creative stuff. And that, that then gives, allows space for romantic Creativity. Yeah. Afterwards. Is that right? <laughs> hey, so this is funny. When uh, I missed Thrive two weeks ago because I was in Denver, okay? So um, when I was in Denver, from some friends who used to be in Thrive were on a road trip and they were driving through Denver and they were like, are you in Denver? And I was like, yeah, you know? So we met for coffee the next morning, Kurt and Kristen Snyder. I don't know if you know them. And uh, they happened to be in Denver. So we met for coffee and they, they were like, hey, um, we've been talking on this road trip about, like, how do you keep the spark alive, basically, in, in, um, in the relationship? And we, we, think, we think communication is a major piece. And I think they're right. And so we had this, it was fun, conversation. And um, we were talking about the qualities of communication that make for just relational intimacy. And I think, I think that's a key to romantic creativity. If there's relational intimacy, then you're, uh, you're well-positioned for romantic creativity. And so the communication piece is really important. There's got to be active communication. It's not just business talk, but you really talk about good things and meaningful things. And, um, and I think that's challenging because maybe on your honeymoon or when you're dating, you could ask questions like, you know, what's your favorite color? And you didn't know the answer. Now I know. Her favorite color is blue. Like, I, that question is out. I can't ask her that one anymore. Uh, dream vacation. I know that one too. You know, so it's like, man, now what am I going to ask her? Um, well, I got to come up with new stuff. And so there, I'm in new territory, which kind of, I think, brings up another major point to romantic creativity, and that is you've got to adapt. So... I'm sure this is true for everybody here and whatever you do for work, you got to adapt to the situation and problem solve and, you know, come up with solutions given the hand that you're dealt, whatever. Um, and I think that's true in a, in a, I know that's true in a marriage relationship. We can't try to recreate the honeymoon. We're not 21 years old anymore. We... Um, are in a different stage of life. We've got four other human beings in the house. Um, we're, we're just, we're in a different season. And it's a great season, it's, it, but it's, it's different from the first week of our marriage. And so if recreating the honeymoon or the first year of marriage or the dating phase is our goal or standard, what we're aiming for, and if we don't get that, then, you know, it's not successful, well, then we've got an impossible standard and it's going to be frustrating for us. But if we're able to adapt and adjust the goal, what is, what is success look like for us? What is it? What is, what are we aiming for here? Um, now, 16 years into marriage, four kids, different schedules, different priorities, whatever. 
and let's paint that picture a little bit and let's go for that thing. And I think that requires some adaptation and, as you said, creativity. Um, so those are a couple things. Anything else? One other thing I, I work on and worked on and I think does help is, um, is small maybe, but for the wives, if you're at home and husband enters back home, it, to greet them with happy, to be happy. Let's just all be happy. No, I know you can't just decide to be happy, but I was just talking to somebody else about how their husband said, what I want most from you is just that you're, you're happy. You're happy. You, you're happy to see me. You're happy I'm home. You know, you're not just giving the... Because I used to possibly, he would walk in, I'd be like, guess what this one did today, you know? And let me tell you. And then They're waiting I, in the bathroom. Right. Yeah, just all, all kinds of stuff. And welcome home. Solve all the problems here. But I'm glad you're here. Mostly because I'm glad you're here because I need the, you know, parental support for the children. Not I'm glad you're here because I'm glad to see you. And so I think that's a good shift if you can make that because that, that establishes our relationship. I mean, it's like I stop, he comes over, I stop what I'm doing, I wash my hands if I'm cooking, I hug him, I smile, I'm how are you? you know, I just even think setting the tone there, not, hey, what's going on, what do you need, you know? So that's a small piece, but I do think it sets the evening up for an enjoyable time, good communication, romance, even laughing, joking, when you can kind of approach that as happy as you can be. Even when things are hard. I mean, you can't every day. Yeah, no, it's been great. Day, but. I think uh, conflict and problems kill romance. And if there's conflicts between us or problems between us, then, then we don't really need to be real creative because there's not a lot of romance, right? So um, solving those problems, resolving those conflicts is top of the list. And um, I'm not a big gardener, but I've tried to grow things at my backyard mostly unsuccessfully. The big thing is weeds. I don't know if you guys try to grow stuff, but man, the weeds, it's just like out of control, right? And um, I'm not always around to like tend to the garden. Um, and I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but you can envision it where you like planted a, a squash maybe uh, or a watermelon and the, the weeds just like take over. And it's, it's overwhelming to like try to take them out one by one and because there's just like so many that have, that have choked out the whole thing. Um, and for some people, if there, there's a lot of problems in your relationship and it's been 10 years and you haven't really been dealing with them, you might have a, a relationship full of weeds. There's just like a lot of cleanup work to do. And you got to start pulling those things out. Like you're not going to cultivate romance if the romance is choked out by a thousand problems. You got to deal with those things one by one. And maybe, maybe you need to do a big, you know, two, two night getaway or whatever, where you can just talk about stuff and hash through stuff and work through things and seek forgiveness and, you know, come back together, whatever. Maybe you need a major overhaul, or maybe there's just a couple little things you got to get out, deal with those things, get those out. Um, and so that you can, really cultivate what's there. Yeah. Do we have time for like one or two more? Depends on how long we, we go for. Hi. 
So we've got a kid who is particularly sensitive um, uh, in general, but um, she tends to get pretty upset with the topic of death and thinking about aging and things like that. Um, it's to the point where we can't make a comment about like, oh, my back hurts, because she thinks, oh, mama's getting old and that means she's gonna die someday. And, um, so the, the question is, you know, how, do you, how do you deal with the topic of, of death with kids in an age-appropriate way? Like, obviously, it's a good opportunity to talk about the gospel and salvation and eternal life, but you know, at some point, maybe it also becomes too heavy for what they're able to process. And so how do you, how do you adapt the message in an age-appropriate way? Yeah, well, I think the first part of your question was good, and I'll affirm that, that um, you do have the conversation in an age-appropriate way. I don't know, your question is, what is the age-appropriate way? I think we can get to that. But I think this applies to death. I think it applies to sex. I think it applies to issues in our culture that we just cannot shy away from them or not talk about them. We can't wait until our kid is 13 years old to talk about sex. In case you missed the opportunity to talk about sex, uh, to be the first one to talk about sex. So we talk about sex or death or whatever other, can't think of any other major topics. Um, yeah, ab abortion, someone's holding the sign on the corner of Mission Viejo, uh, Four Corners, abortion, what's that? You know, um, um, so we don't wanna avoid those questions. We wanna just deal with them as they come up or as we bring them up. So with some things, we wanna be the first ones to talk to our kids about sex, about what is a period, um, yeah, and yeah, you didn't say any of that. Oh, in the I, I said homosexual. I'm trying to think of the topics we've discussed: homosexuality, transgenderism. Why would a boy be wearing makeup? What does the Bible say about that? Um, yeah, abortion. That one was hard. One of the kids was crying in the car, which made me refresh anew. And we we prayed for people. I mean, it's like, but I want to be the one that they talk to about it and come to for the Bible's answer. And so we, we try to address those things. And we did have, we had one with hell. Remember one of our kids with, anytime the word hell or Satan was mentioned, I mean, lose it. Just scared, cry, nightmare. I mean, nightmares kind of for a while. I mean, tough stuff. And maybe they learned about it early. I don't remember the age of that. Remember the age of that one? I just remember getting woken up like 10 times that night. Yeah. 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 But we wanted to be the one because because the topic was out there and they'd heard it or read it or seen it. I mean, we needed to approach it as minimal as we can and then go on if they need more. Yeah. Yeah. So as minimal, that, that's starting to get to the real part of your question is like, how do you do it in an age appropriate way? And so... I guess that's just a matter of knowing what your kid can handle and what they can process. And in some cases, it's maybe giving an answer and then if they're not satisfied with it, it's like, all right, well, I guess I gotta give a little more here, a <laughs> little more detail. Like sometimes it's like, you know, how are, how are babies made? And it's like, we can give one answer and then if they need a little more detail, it's like, <laughs> we gotta give more detail, you know? So yep. um, anyway, you maybe add more to the conversation as they go. Um, with death in particular, I guess it's not surprising that someone is sensitive to that. It's 
the Bible calls death the last enemy to be defeated. It's an enemy. It's a problem. It's a real threat. It's a real scary reality. And the Bible affirms that. So I don't think it's wrong for a kid to um, be concerned with death. And, you know, maybe that's even something to add to the discussion with them. But um, I think there's also a lot of hope in the scriptures that you can, that all believers are to cling to and, and scriptures point us to. I mean, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, and there's a lot of hope of conquering of death. And um, Jesus is the first fruits of that. He has risen from the dead. So we know death has been defeated, conquered, um, though it remains uh, its presence here on earth. So anyway, I just, um, I think there's probably some theological pieces to add to the discussion that maybe help with bringing some peace. But at the end of the day, it is a, a scary reality in our world. And that's hard for kids. And it's hard for adults, right? Yeah, and with our sensitive ones, we've, we've often had discussions about self-control in regards to these d- difficult topics. Um, because we have some that have giant feelings and, and, you know, we just have a lot of discussions about you can't always just vent your feelings here. Um, I mean, I, I'm trying to explain this well, but I'm not. So you can jump in at any moment. But I, I'm thinking about the ones that are sensitive. Yeah. And, you know, it's just you have to be able to have self-control where you're not going to wake us up 10 times at night. You're not allowed to do that. In fact, there's a consequence if you do. I understand that you're upset about this and we have talked you through it and now you need to trust mom and dad and and you need to trust the Lord. They're not there yet. They're not Christian, but you need to trust us that we have taught you and what the Bible says and and now you need to have self-control. And so we're gonna expect that of you. I mean, you know, maybe not the first night, but like we need to work with you to get you there so you're not just feeling outwardly or not able to talk about, you know, if someone says, oh, my back is hurting. Well, I'm sorry, you can't, you know, if you think that this is, you can't respond that way. You know, it's not appropriate. Ah, you can't, because one one would say, you can't say, you know, cover their ears and scream. Oh, you can't, that's not appropriate, honey. I understand you're scared. Let's talk about it. But you, we need to have control developed over our emotions. And that's still an, still an ongoing discussion with the same one that lacks you know, it's the sensitive and lack of self-control, trying to help grow that. Because there are hard things, and just because you feel it, you can't do it every time. And like me, you know, sometimes I want to cry and throw a fit on the ground, and I do not do it, you know. And, I, you know, but so it's like they need to learn that. And so I think that's part of the discussion. I don't know. I think that's a really good thing to add, the self-control piece. And you got to cultivate that. And they don't learn it the first time you teach them. Mm -mm. you got to teach kids over and over again and over and over and over about self-control. But that's a really good piece. Because oftentimes fear is illogical, you know. Uh, Oftentimes the particular thing that they're freaked out about is... um, It's they're they're not being rational and logical. And they've got to take a deep breath, settle down, trust and not give way to what they feel. So that's good. That's good training, not just for thinking about death, but it's good training 
for self-control for a lot of stuff. So 